Hi, this is Katie Crank from the Center for Court Innovation's Domestic Violence Team. Following is a new thinking podcast with Judge Michael Bordaglio of the Guam Family Violence Court. The conversation was recorded in September of 2012. Hello, I am here in Guam as part of the national training and technical assistance that our office provides through the Office on Violence Against Women's Court Enhancement and Training Grant Funding Stream. Today, I'm speaking with Judge Michael Bordaglio, who presides over the day-to-day operations of Guam's Family Violence Court. Thanks so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Uh, you're welcome, and welcome to Guam. Half a day. Thank you. So Guam is a U.S. territory in the Western Pacific Ocean with a population of around 160,000. And you have a diverse culture here with a mix of native Chamorro residents, Filipinos, Pacific Islander, Asian, white. And we're wondering if there are any specific issues that are really a challenge to the court in addressing domestic violence with these populations. Well, I think the biggest challenge when you have the diverse cultures is is language. For the local, for the Chamorro population, it's not as big an issue because most of us speak English and and all the schools, everything is conducted in English. But the uh, rest of the Asian Pacific Islander population, and to some extent, even uh, for the Filipinos, and we have some Koreans and Chinese, a lot of them speak little to no English. So... Those groups are a little bit harder with the Pacific Islanders. We have enough of a defendant population that we can actually bring in. Uh, For instance, we conduct group uh, in Chukis, which is their native tongue. So we were fortunate enough to have counselors who who speak the language. And and unfortunately, there's enough of them that form a group. And so that issue is addressed there. I think the harder ones would be, for instance, even the Filipinos or the Chinese or the Koreans, where then we need to have translators for each of those defendants. So language is the primary uh, issue. There are some cultural issues. To what degree is family violence defined, whether it's acceptable or not acceptable, and those form part of the the counseling issues that are addressed. Maybe you can tell me a little bit more about the specialized docket that you have that's dedicated to domestic violence or family violence cases. So Your court, as we mentioned, is the recipient of an OVW, Courts Enhancement and Training Grant. And in a lot of domestic violence courts and calendars on the mainland, those courts handle misdemeanor criminal domestic violence cases or civil orders of protection, or they've created an integrated domestic violence court. So can you tell us just a little bit more about your family violence court and some of the procedures that are particular to your work here in Guam? I think our court would be defined as a integrated domestic violence court. For instance, my docket would include all civil protection order cases, which we've designated as protective order cases, and those used to be defined by cohabitants, so you had to have lived with the respondent. Now it's been expanded to to include almost any kind of family relationship, whether whether they're living together now or not. I also would handle all the civil restraining orders, which is even broader uh, in terms of Uh, relationships. It's integrated so any domestic case between the same parties, for instance, in a protective order case, whether that domestic case was filed before or after the civil protection order case was filed would also be reassigned or assigned to the court. So it's a one family, one judge. And then obviously all the uh, domestic violence uh, misdemeanor as well as felony cases are assigned to this court. So basically I'm doing almost 100% domestic family violence, either in the criminal setting or the civil setting would take just about all my docket time. We're general jurisdiction judges, so I still have my own share of regular domestic cases, regular civil cases. 
Uh, but all criminal cases are, are family violence cases. Can you tell me a little bit about how you came to preside over this specialized family violence court? Our system here on Guam is that we have seven Superior Court judges and we rotate assignments. So prior to coming on to this, I was in charge of the uh, adult drug court. So we serve, right now we serve three-year rotations. So I'm in the first year of a three-year rotation on family violence. And so um, in the past, we've just done, we've just drawn at random which assignments the judges will take with the understanding that everybody rotates around so that you do all the different assignments. And we have several treatment courts. We have a mental health court. We have a drug court. We have this. We have the uh, juvenile drug courts. And we also have, uh, we have started a DUI court, but we're still uh, finalizing some of the aspects of that. Then shifting gears a little bit, can you tell me how the resource coordinator uh, assists the family violence court? She's been on for two and a half or two years almost, I think, and I've only been on for a year. So she is in charge of everything with the family violence court. She's my liaison to the community. She's also in charge of reviewing and processing the program that we provide to the clients, ensuring to the greatest extent possible that we are using the latest available evidence-based techniques, whether it's in terms of, for instance, things as little as how the plea agreements. We've just had a recent, I think, pretty substantive change in law where we've gone from a diversion to a deferred plea, so she has to coordinate that. She also spends a lot of time reporting to people on our uh, progress. Can you tell us what's an example of a lesson learned just in your experience in the year that you've been on the Family Violence Court? What's a lesson learned? Well, I think, you know, number one, the biggest benefit that I have received is in terms of training. And and that, again, goes, you know, that's part of, of Siri's role as, as the coordinator here is to make sure the judges are up to date on, on, on the training. And and I think the number one thing is the approach and understanding, first of all, of your knowledge of what a family violence uh, a case involves and the dynamics. And I gave uh, an example. There's a conference going on out here, and I gave just a real simple example, and that's in terms of protective orders. You know, normally in court, you know, if somebody keeps reappearing before you, you tend to say, listen, if you appear before me one more time, uh, I'm just not even going to grant your request. And one of the basic things we learned from our training is that, you know, to assure, for, for instance, victims of domestic violence, I don't care if you keep dismissing the case. I want you to know that the court is always open and, and you're free to come back and ask again for the restraining orders. Because, for instance, one of the, I think one of the studies pointed out that it normally will take somewhere between five and seven incidences before a victim would even have a courage to seek assistance at the court. So it's just learning about the dynamics in a family violence case that has been the biggest benefit. So the training is, is just it's just crucial because for the most part, I'll be honest, it's not it's not gonna be the way you normally think about cases or you normally think about incidences. It, without that knowledge, you never, I think for the most part, would understand how these cases work. I think that's very true. And didn't you also attend a National Council of Juvenile and Family Court Judges training that was specific to running a domestic violence court docket? Absolutely, and the trainings I've actually, I think, gone to two already. Um, in San Francisco and in Chicago. And again, again, it, it, the, like I said, the best thing was, was you learn the realities behind uh, uh, domestic violence. You can read a declaration that just says, oh, he slapped me um, and then he pulled my hair and, and not really understand 
the dynamics behind what happened. All that's going to show up on a piece of paper is he pulled my hair, but you have to understand what the dynamics are behind the intimidation and things of that nature. And I think the training really pointed out, you, you just don't think about how these cases are. And, and so it's good to, to understand that. And then also very important, the treatment aspect of it and, and how you can you work to make uh, the defendants and the perpetrators uh, change and, and making sure that you hold them accountable. But more importantly, you provide them the resources so that they're not set up to fail. What would you say your biggest challenges are in terms of offender accountability and victim safety, and how does the domestic violence court or the family violence court work to address these? Well, I think in terms of victim safety, our biggest challenge, like everywhere else, is whether the community as a whole has the ability to provide the, the resources and support to the, to the victim so that issues that affect their behavior are addressed and and for safety it's things like okay if the can the community or does the community have the resources to meet their housing needs their financial needs their support needs because what i've learned through training is that all those needs greatly affect whether or not they're going to say i want to see the the defendant or not whether i want to see the person who just beat me up or not and they affect it so much more than you analyzing it would ever believe. I mean, the number one question, I think, off everybody's lips when they hear of of this type of crime is, well, why didn't she run? Why didn't she just leave him? So, so So he supports you. That's no reason to stay. I mean, those are the... And, and it's the natural, so in some ways it's a natural response, but the reality is, is, is you learn that those are very real uh, needs, you know, children and, and taking care of the kids and providing a house. Those are very real needs that people are willing to compromise their safety for. In closing, if there's a jurisdiction like yours, which is relatively isolated and perhaps has fewer resources wanted to create a domestic violence docket or domestic violence court, what would be one or two words of advice that you might give? My first piece of advice would be that judge has to attend a training session because if you're going to start a family violence court, just as if you're going to start a drug court, whoever's in charge has to have that understanding of those cases before him. I was a judge for 13 years and I was a lawyer for 10 years before that and I was amazed at how much I learned just at attending one training session. And then the second thing you need is you, is you need to have the ability to marshal whatever resources you have in that community. And, and it really has to focus on two areas. It has to focus on treatment of the defendant, and it has to focus on support of the victim. And that, those are kind of the two areas. But, you know, we've learned that there are a lot of tools that are inexpensive. For instance, lethality tests, lethality assessments. Those are 20 questions, 25 question sheets that your victim advocates can use that go a long way in assisting you in, in just narrowing the odds, putting the odds in your favor when you make a decision. Yes, you can have contact or no, you can't have contact. So there are resources out there that are inexpensive and any jurisdiction can access through, through organizations such as yours and, and um, stop grants. And, and, and even if you don't get grants, but you can access them for resources to assist you so that you, you, you make the best decision possible. Great. Well, thanks again, Judge, for talking with us today. You're welcome, and I hope you enjoyed your time on Guam and looking forward to working with you in the future. Most certainly. Thanks again. 
We just heard a new thinking podcast with Judge Michael Bordalio, recorded in September of 2012. To hear more, you can follow our podcast on iTunes or visit our website at www.courtinnovation.org. Thank you.